Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. I was originally going to start this series, Discipled, next week, um, but I really felt compelled to begin this series with a message that really leads us into the next eight weeks. Um, You might wonder why the series is entitled Discipled. A disciple is someone who has made a choice to follow Jesus and to learn from Jesus. But you might ask, how do we follow and learn from someone who is no longer physically present? It's a good question. How do we follow someone, Pastor Tom, I'm new uh, as a follower of Christ, I don't understand. How we follow Jesus because he's given us his word. We have the Bible. We can open up his words. We can actually read the words that he spoke to his disciples, that he spoke to the crowds, and we can learn from his word. And the other thing that he has given us is the power of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us his ability. It enlightens us. In fact, one of the things I do, and I, ho- I encourage you, I've shared this before, before I start reading God's Word, and hopefully some of you started the reading plan that we have. If you haven't, we have an app in the back that you can just, or not an app, but a QR code that you can download that app, uh, the Bible reading plan. But before you start reading, I always start by just saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what you have spoken. I don't want it just to be words on a page. I want it to be something that comes to life to me. So that's how we follow Jesus when he might not be physically here. We know he's very much alive. But we follow him because of his word, because of the Holy Spirit. For example, another example, there's, there's some great authors that I, I have never met, but I have learned from. How many of you enjoy reading? I enjoy reading. And there's some great authors. One of the authors is C.S. Lewis. Guess what? He's no longer alive, but I can still learn from his writings. Jesus is left through this word, and it's called his living word. It's living because Jesus is very much alive, and through the power of his Holy Spirit, we are directed and guided by his word. His word comes alive through the Spirit of God. And it's important to remember, Jesus just didn't come to this earth so that we might be good church attenders. He didn't come to this earth so we just check off the box, be a good church attender. He came to this earth so that we might be his disciples, his followers. It's interesting, the word Christian never was used much in the Bible. In fact, it only appears three times in Scripture. There's three recordings of the word Christian. Jesus himself never actually used the word Christian. He never referred to someone who was following him following him as a Christian. He referred to him as, his, as their disciples. The first usage of the word Christian appears in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And it's important to note the term Christian was not used by the followers of Jesus. It was actually used by non-believers who were referring to someone who was following uh, uh, Christ. They were saying, oh, that's a Christian over there. It was never used to be a term that was praiseworthy. It was actually used as a derogatory term. And we might have heard of that today even. Oh, that person over there by the water cooler, that's a Christian. 
And it's not, it's not done in such a way to be, oh, man, that's a great person. It's done, oh, that's a person that you got to stay away from a little bit because you know what? They, they just have different beliefs, and, and they're just kind of a joy kill all the time. You know, they don't have fun, and they don't do all this. And You've heard it. You, you understand what I'm talking about. It's why Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16 he says these words. It's really interesting. If you've never understood these words, I want you to grab a hold of this. It says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter used the name Christian in such a way that it wasn't... It, because of unbelievers were calling other Christian followers were calling followers that they were Christians. And he says, don't be ashamed that you're being called a Christian. At least it bears the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Welcome. Good morning. Latasha's back. But Jesus, throughout his word, used the word disciple to refer to someone who, was, who chose to follow him and to learn from him. Methetes is the Greek word for disciple, and it means learner or a person who follows one's teachings. The Pharisees, guess what? They pride themselves in following the law of Moses. They, they, were, they were disciples of Moses. They were disciples of the Old Testament. In fact, in John chapter 9, verse 28, when the blind man, when Jesus healed the blind man, the blind man was miraculously healed. And the Pharisees heard about this miracle and this healing. And they go to this blind man and they start to question him. How did this happen? Who healed you? What's going on? And they had so many questions. They kept on asking these questions to the blind man about what took place. And finally the blind man responded to um, uh, the Pharisees. says, do you want to be his disciples as well? Referring to Jesus, do you want to be his disciples? And the Pharisees responded by cursing the blind man who was healed. And they said, you are his disciple, but catch us, but we are the disciples of Moses. The sad situation is that the Pharisees struggled with seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of Moses' teachings. Throughout the Old Testament, you can read the prophecies of the coming Savior. The, the Old Testament continues to point to this, this, this Savior, this Messiah that was going to come. We know that the fulfillment of that prophecy is Jesus. And, and everything is pointing, even Moses himself was pointing to this, the, the prophecy of a Savior that would soon be coming. But the Pharisees could never see that. And they continued in their old ways. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. There's a judgment day that's going to be coming for those who actually hold back the name of Jesus, who, who, who turn people away from going to church, who turn people away from finding Jesus. I share all of this because I believe it's important that we understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We are called to be his disciples. It's not a club that we join. It's a way, W-A-Y, it's a way of life. 
you kind of see the road. It's a way of life. In fact, Christianity was called the way in Jesus' day because it was choosing to surrender your life to the authority or to the way of Jesus Christ. The name way came from the teachings of Jesus in John chapter 14. And we're just doing some little bit of background before we go into this series called Disciple. John chapter 14, we can read how Jesus was preparing his disciples for this soon departure from this earth. He was sharing with them that he would soon return to, to his Father in heaven. And Jesus made, said these words to his disciples. He says, and you know, the where, you know where I am going. And then Thomas replies, No, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Then Jesus responded with the famous words that I'm sure many of you have heard at different times. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear that there's not multiple ways to Jesus. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. It's not a Costco membership card that you can just go sign up and say, oh, if I sign this up, you know what, I can just flash my card every every time I walk by and I can get in. No, no, no. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't use a card. They have to be able, he has to be able to recognize you by face. He has to be able to recognize your voice. He has to be able, oh, that's my child. Yeah, I know that person. See, you don't need a card in heaven. You, know, you are already known. Yeah, come on. If you know Jesus, you're already known. My hope is that the word disciple takes on new meaning. As someone who closely follows the way of Jesus. The idea of being discipled is the idea of following the path that Jesus set before us. It was different from the religious rules the religious laws that had been set up. In fact, Jesus came to what? Fulfill the law in such a way that it would actually set people free from kind of this controlling factor that the church had at that point. It was trying to set them free, not just from sin, but really from the bondage of the law. And let's remember, when Jesus entered this earth, there was a very elaborate religious system that was set in place that was filled with rules and regulations Yes, Moses gave the, or God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, but then all these other laws, all these other rules, all these other regulations. Have you ever been in a church that gets filled with so many regulations? I have as a pastor. I'm sharing some secrets. I've been in a church before when you get, you can't breathe. Even as the pastor, you can't breathe unless you get permission by the women's director and then by the youth pastor and then by, there's all these rules and regulations. You can't do anything. And Jesus came, you know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to follow God by, by what he's putting into our heart. Love God, love others. And so he started breaking down this system so that once again, instead of having a relationship with rules and laws, we start having a relationship with Jesus, with our Heavenly Father. Jesus came, not only set people free from their sin, but set them free from this religious bondage. This past year, I shared a sermon series called The Twelve. Twelve ordinary men who chose to follow Jesus. They were his disciples who soon became what was known as his apostles. And in this new series, Discipled, we're going to focus on what Jesus taught them. What did Jesus teach his disciples that made such a change 
in their lives. What did he teach them that all of a sudden, each and every day, they were able to make a decision to follow Christ, even if it meant life or death? What was it that he instilled in them? We know that, for one thing, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But there are certain things, I think, that we're going to find out, certain disciplines that we're going to discover, that when we put those into action into our lives, we draw closer and closer to God's Spirit. I want to dig out the spiritual disciplines that Jesus instilled in their lives. What gave them courage to be different in this world? What gave them courage to live extraordinary lives? What changed them? We live in a world that desperately needs change. Some might not even know that they need change. The Pharisees didn't even realize they needed change, but Jesus saw that they needed change. We live in that same world. As long as sin has power in this world, guess what? People need to discover the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. We need to continue to experience that change for ourselves. Over this next eight weeks, we're going to search and look for the truths that Jesus viewed as important to put into practice. What things in our lives are we practicing? What things in our lives does Jesus want us to practice? What things in our lives does Jesus say we need to let go of? What things do we need to pick up? Come on. Yeah, we're going to start stepping on some toes, Latasha, this week, I think. See, this truth goes beyond external actions. It's a truth that changes the motives of the heart. It's one of the things that I've really been working in my own life. Lord, change my motives. Change my heart. Make it more pure and, and, and contrite with you, Lord. I, I know I'm never going to be perfect, but Lord, help me. Help me. Change the motives of my heart. It's choosing to follow Jesus a way that will transform your life. But choosing to be a disciple of Jesus requires a commitment. It requires commitment. It requires discipline to grow in the way of following Jesus. In fact, this series, as I was praying about what God was going to put in my heart, I had two or three different things I was going to move in a direction, and this one really is the one that God just placed in my heart. And I kind of, you know, how, how do I say this in the right way? This is not the sermon series that you want to preach if you want to grow your church numerically. But if you want to grow your church spiritually, this is the series. If you want to grow to be disciples of Jesus Christ, this is the series that helps us grow deeper into his word, into who Christ is. As we enter the series, I want us to prepare our hearts. And I think it's so appropriate that we just started a 21-day fast we're into our first week because I believe it's preparing our hearts for what God wants to do in our lives, the power of his spirit. And it requires three things, and I want to point this out in scripture today. It requires three things, and you can write these three things down. It requires choice, it requires surrender, and it requires sacrifice. At the end of the gospel of Mark chapter 8, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for what's soon going to take place. That he was going to have to face the cross. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die. Three days later, he would be resurrected. He would remain with his disciples for a matter of time. And then eventually, he would be ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. He shares with them that soon that, guess what? There's many things that he's going to have to suffer. He's going to be beaten. Uh, he, there's a lot of things that they're not going to like. It's going to be difficult, and he's going to die. He's sharing that with them. And then Peter, if you read this scripture in Mark 8, Peter all of a sudden takes him aside, and he starts to scold only Peter. He starts to scold Jesus. 
Why are you talking this way, Jesus? Why are you saying this? And then Jesus reprimands Peter. And, and this is not one of those times, you know, I've always tried to discipline in private and praise in public. It's a good way for a leader to be, is to discipline privately and, and praise publicly. I've been working on that in my own life, is working through those things. Jesus didn't follow that rule. He literally disciplined Peter right in front of all the other disciples. He says, get away from me, Satan. In front of everyone. It seems so harsh and so difficult. But see, Jesus saw Peter walking from a humanistic viewpoint instead of walking in a godly viewpoint. Understand that Jesus had to do the Father's will. Then Jesus called and he's talking to his disciples. And it says in scripture, there must be the crowds of people must have been close by. Because all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, come on around. Everybody, come, come, come. Come on, I want to share something with you. And these are the words that Jesus shares. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? Today I want to focus on that verse 34. The requirements, the requirements of being a disciple. And I want to say one quick prayer before we go into this. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds. Make us ready to hear your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing, it requires a choice. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it requires a choice. No one is forcing you. Jesus doesn't try to force you. He doesn't try to put you. He, it's a choice that you have to make. Jesus states in this very verse, he says, if any of you want... If any of you want, you don't have to, but if any of you want. See, I believe our choice starts with the desire. Amen. Do you desire to follow Jesus? Do you desire for God's plans to be revealed through your life? Do you desire for a change in your life? Do you desire to go away from sin and start following after Jesus? Do you desire for a change, for a transformation, for something different than just living life each and every day for self? Do you desire something that Jesus can offer? It has to start with a desire in our life. Who's creating that desire? I believe it's the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the desire. All of a sudden we see something, we see something good that God is doing, and all of a sudden a miracle takes place, something else takes place. We find ourselves in the depth of of despair and sin, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, a friend shows up, and we give, are given hope, and all of a sudden there's a desire that starts to click into our lives, and that desire leads us to a choice. In our sermon series, the 12, we went through how the disciples were called by Jesus to follow him. One of my favorite calling of the disciples was that of Matthew, Levi, the publican, the tax collector. He's literally sitting in a tax collector's booth. I don't know how big it was, but I'm just, don't, uh, it doesn't appear that it was very big. And People would walk up to this tax collector's booth to pay their taxes to Rome. And, and Matthew is sitting there, and Jesus is walking by, and he looks at Matthew and says, come, follow me. 
And see, there's not a lot into that story when you start reading. You don't, you don't have a ton of information. It just says that Matthew follows Jesus. It doesn't give you any information that, that all of a sudden he put all of his books in order or that he put some third. He just left and followed Jesus. I don't think Jesus like, hey, I'll wait for you. Just go ahead and finish up whatever you got. No, Jesus is walking and Matthew says, see, there was a desire in Matthew that everything else doesn't matter. Nothing else matters in my life. If Jesus is walking by, I'm going to follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's a choice. Following Jesus is a choice. I don't believe it's a one-time choice. I believe it's a daily choice in our lives. It's commitment. It's like being married. It's commitment. Some of you act like being married is a bad thing. <laughs> Wives, nail your husband right now. If they, they, mm, yeah, just hit him with the elbow right now. No, what happened in my life was that there was a desire for this woman. Right? Whoa, I know. I was... <laughs> None of you can have that desire. I had that desire. I desired Annette. You know what? It led me to a choice. All of a sudden, I made a choice, and then I made a commitment. I'm going to be married to this woman. And I made a commitment, guess what, for the rest of my life to be married to this woman. It was a choice I made. And that is similar to how it is when we choose to follow Jesus. We have to make a choice. We have to make, make a promise. When I chose to marry Annette, guess what? It was for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for, in sickness and health, until death do us part. Following Jesus is similar. Daily choice. Except in following Jesus, there is, guess what? Physical death will never separate us. Because Jesus conquered death, there is life after death. When we make that choice to follow Jesus, guess what? We are his disciple. We are promised more than what we, this world could ever offer us. This world, at best, can offer you temporary happiness. And I say temporary in bold. It's temporary happiness. Jesus can offer us eternal happiness. But it's a choice. Second insight from this verse 34 on being one of his disciples. This is a tough one. It requires surrender. Verse 34 states, you must give up your own way. How many enjoy giving up your own preference, your own way? You don't, how many just enjoy, oh, you know what, no, you go ahead, I, I don't care, it's fine. Most of us don't like giving up our rights. In fact, we live in a society where rights are important, right? There are all kinds of organizations that have been created for the sole purpose of just protecting our rights. Think about all the attorneys that are just out there to protect people's rights, we have the ACLU, American Civil Liberty Union. We have the NLRB, National Labor Relations Board. We have the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. We have HIPAA that just basically protects our, 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 our health information. We have the NRA, the National Rifle Association. The list goes on and on and on and on of different organizations that have just been created to protect our rights. 
We live in a society that promotes knowing your rights. And don't get me wrong, these are, many of these are very good organizations. And we need organizations to protect people's rights. Don't get me wrong on that. But in verse 34, Jesus makes this statement. If you want to follow me, you must give up your own way and follow me. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. This goes against every ounce of our culture today. It goes against what we stand for as Americans, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus' statement goes against really what, in that sense, kind of, and I love America, don't get me wrong, but some people love America more than they love God. And that's a problem. We never elevate America above God. God is number one. Umeral one. Uno. If we want to enter heaven, then Jesus makes it very clear. You must give up your own way and follow him. There is no other way. Because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Remember that story in Mark that I just shared in chapter 8, kind of our text, when Peter took Jesus aside and started to rebuke Jesus for the talk of death. And Peter thought he was protecting Jesus, but in reality, it was distracting Jesus from God's plan. Jesus himself had to surrender to the will of the Heavenly Father. Think about that. Jesus himself, the Savior, had to surrender to the will of the Heavenly Father. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but your will, Heavenly Father. Not my will but your will be done. In our own life, we must be willing to surrender to God's plan, even if it goes against our own thoughts and our own ways. So we're going to talk a little bit about this in this series. What happens when my thoughts, my desires, goes against God's thoughts, God's ways, God's desires? What happens when my desires goes against God's word? What do I do? You don't have a choice. You go God's way. It sounds difficult, But God put a plan together for our protection, for our direction, and for our happiness. And we follow after Jesus Christ. See, Peter thought he was protecting Jesus, but he wasn't. In reality, he was distracting Jesus from following God's plan. If Jesus hadn't surrendered on the cross to die for our sins, there is no redemption. There is no salvation for mankind. Was it a sacrifice? 100%. Jesus had to surrender to the will of the Father, and it wasn't easy. But he did it because, guess what? He was bringing redemption to the world. In our lives, we have to be willing to surrender. Being a disciple of Father Jesus means surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Not part of your life, but all of your life. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that you're striving. Yet you're striving to follow Jesus. Some might try to make the distinction between being a Christian and being a disciple. That, well, I'm a Christian, I wouldn't call myself a disciple. You can't do that. You can't claim to be a Christian and not be a disciple. It's just not possible. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, he says, go therefore and make Christians of all nations. No, he says, go therefore and make Christians. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The whole key in Jesus' time here on earth was to make followers, disciples, people who were willing to learn after Jesus, to follow after Jesus. 
A Christian is a disciple who is learning from Jesus. And that, that requires for us to surrender. The final thought that I share with you today from verse 34 requires sacrifice. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. This part of verse 34 many times is misinterpreted. And I just want to share with what a disciple is because we're going to this eight weeks. But when we hear this statement, take up your cross and follow me. So many times I think this is misinterpreted. Um, people maybe have an illness or maybe they've lost their job or maybe they have a difficulty. Oh, it's just the, the cross that I have to bear. I, I don't know if you've ever heard that statement. Maybe you've used that statement. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I've used that statement. It's the cross I have to bear. I don't think I have, but who knows. It doesn't matter if you have or have not. But here's the thing that I want to reveal to you today. That's not what Jesus is talking about in here. It's not, that's not the words of Jesus here. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, it was very specific. In the New Testament, the cross didn't symbolize anything but death. The cross was a symbol of death. It was a, it was a tool that was used to crucify somebody. So how do you reconcile that whole thought when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me? That seems so difficult, Pastor Tom. How, how I don't want to die. Yeah, I don't either. But we must be careful not to change what Jesus meant to fit our narrative. In Jesus' day, choosing to follow Jesus meant risking your life. It, mis- it meant risking your reputation. It meant risking the loss of friends. It meant being willing to be, maybe even be alienated from your family because they don't understand your decision. There were consequences in following Jesus. In fact, in, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, there's a really interesting passage of Scripture that's kind of difficult to understand because Jesus says, if you don't hate your brother and your mother and your father, and you think, why? Jesus says about love. Why does he say about, why should I hate somebody but what Jesus is saying in this, in comparison to my, your love for me, in your comparison of your love for me, none of these other people should even be close to how you love me. That's what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. And Jesus makes this very clear throughout Scripture. Take up your cross and follow me meant you were willing to follow Jesus even if it required you sacrificing everything, even your own life. And people around the world are making those decisions. We might not have to do that here in America, but there's people around the world, there's people in China, there's people in Iraq, there's people in Iran, there's people around the world that are making a decision to follow Christ. Guess what? There's persecution, there's possible death for their decisions, but they're willing to do so because guess what? They have a desire and they've made a choice and they say there's something different here. And I, want, I, want to, I don't want to try to find happiness on this earth that I know is just fleeting. I want to have happiness for all of eternity with Jesus Christ. They made that decision. The choice to follow Jesus was never meant to be a half-hearted decision. Remember the words that we started with there. Mark chapter 8. Take up your cross and follow me. Remember the remaining words? Listen to those words once again. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. These are Jesus' words. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Say that with me. 
Is there anything worth more than your soul? Following Jesus means you're elevating Jesus as the most important concern in your life. It trumps all other concerns. And at times, it requires sacrifice. I told you this message, this series is not going to grow our church numerically. But it might grow our church spiritually. Come on. I share this message. And you know what? I believe it's going to grow us numerically too because I, people want, I believe people want change. I share this message with you today because I believe many people are deceived. They don't understand that Jesus must be their highest priority. They think as long as, I want you to catch this, they think as long as Jesus is on the list of things to do. If he's just somewhere on my 30 different items that I have to do today list, that's okay, that's good enough. If he's just on the list, guess what? It's okay. Jesus doesn't have to be more important than my children. Jesus doesn't have to be more important than my spouse or more important than my career. He just needs to be on the list. But he is. According to Jesus, it's not good enough if you want to be his disciple. He has to be number one position. That's it. So guess what we're going to do as a church? We're going to elevate Jesus to number one. We as a church are going to be disciplined. We're going to walk in such a way that says, you know what? Jesus is number one in my life. All other things take second, second place. There's nothing, nothing else but Jesus is number one. That's what we're going to make as a commitment as a church. How can you make that commitment as a church? Because I'm your pastor. And we're going to make that commitment. And I want you to make that commitment with me as well. As we're going through this fast, as we're calling to be disciples of Jesus, let's make him number one. How do I make him number one in my life? Before you make a decision, you go, Jesus, Lord, help me make this decision. Is this what you want me to do, Lord? Is this, is this where you want me to spend my money, Lord? This friendship, Lord, how do I work in this friendship? This person needs to know you. Open up their hearts, Lord. You make him number one. Lord, this job, this boss sucks. I don't like him. I don't like her. She's mean. You could take that on in your own strength and fail. Or you can say, Lord, I surrender that to you. Lord, man, start revealing to me right now the things that I can do to change that person's heart. You see, the way we elevate Jesus number one in our life is we make him number one in every area of our life, in our time, in our finances, in our thoughts. We elevate him to number one. I talked about marriage. I got some time, so I'm okay. Just relax for a minute. Thank you. I knew you were going to say that, Latasha. My wife and I have been married for 36 years. It's a long time, babe. Although we have someone in our church whose grandparents just celebrated 80 years of marriage. Yeah, Vernon, Karen, Adler, their grandparents celebrate 80 years of marriage. I'm less than halfway done, babe. I can't even believe that. Wow. That's a long time, 80 years. But we've been, we celebrate 36 years. You know, almost every decision I make, 
at least any important decision I make. I go to Annette. What do you think, babe? What do you think about this decision? We talk it through, right? Do you do that with your spouse if you're married? You probably, or if you're not married, if you're single, you probably talk to your mom or dad or a good friend. And you, what do you think about this? What would happen if we just replaced that with Jesus? Man, Jesus, what do you think? It's not that we can't talk to our spouse. It's not that we can't talk to our good friend. It's just mean that Jesus takes first priority. Instead of going to Annette first and say, what do you think about I go to Jesus first and say, man, Lord, reveal to me what to do. It's been amazing in my life. There's been times I've been going into different meetings and different appointments and different things that have been difficult. As a pastor, you have those. And those times where I remember, which is majority, 95, 96, 97% of my time, I just say a prayer, Lord, lead me through this meeting. Lead me through this time. And what's interesting is when I say that prayer and when I just put the Lord first, it's interesting how many times the Lord just takes over and leads me through that time. And things turn out as best as you can possibly imagine. But those other times where I might forget to just say a prayer and just put, it's interesting how I struggle and I stumble. And I, it's like, no, Lord, I got to keep, it's a reminder we put God first in every area of our life. That's what it's called to be a disciple. It's being willing to take Jesus out of the back seat and put him in the driver's seat. How many backseat drivers out there? Come on. Don't make Jesus the backseat driver. Make him the one that's behind the wheel. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We must open up our hearts and minds and allow Jesus to begin circumcising our life. What does that mean, Pastor Tom? I've heard that word before, circumcising our life. It means cutting away those things that maybe don't necessarily honor God. It's cutting away those things that maybe they're not even that necessarily a sin, but they're just taking up time away from me actually spending time with the Lord. It's cutting away certain things. I'm not saying this as a killjoy. I can't do anything anymore. I can't golf. That's one of my big things, you know. I can't go shopping anymore. I can't, you know. No, no, no. I'm just saying there's certain things that you can cut away. You don't need to be gaming for eight hours a night. You don't need to be watching TV for eight hours a day. You don't need to be... Come on. I'm speaking to myself. Cut anything away that's offensive to God. Anything that hinders Jesus from being the Lord of your life. I challenge you to join me over the next eight weeks. Bring your friends. Bring your family. As we look at the teachings of Jesus that Jesus gave to his disciples. Spiritual insights that opened up opportunities to continue to be transformed by the Spirit, by the, by the Spirit of God. That's what this is all about. Is opportunities where all of a sudden I have disciplined my life in such a way that I've opened up God's presence in my life. I've disciplined my life in such a way where I spend time in prayer. Guess what? That opens up God's presence in my life. I discipline my life enough where I can spend time reading God's Word. Guess what? That opens up God's presence in my life. I discipline my life enough to wherever all of a sudden I just stop. This is one of the hardest things for me to ever to do. Oh my gosh. I think the Lord did that this week for me sometimes. He's like, you're stopping. <laughs> you're not going to stop. I'm going to stop you. And all of a sudden just being in time in solitude and allowing God to speak instead of you're speaking all the time. Guess what? You're going to invite God's presence into your life. That's what we're going to do over the next eight weeks. How many are excited about the next eight weeks? I am.
Come on. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that your word is powerful and it's effective and it changes lives. I ask today, Lord, that you would touch our lives. That you would move in us in such a way that would be powerful and effective. Changes from the inside out. For those here today, or maybe they're watching online, or maybe they're sitting here in the audience today, and they have you on their list of 30 things, but they've never really made the decision to make you number one in their life. I pray today, God, that they'd make that choice. And if that's you here today, every head bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and says, yeah, Pastor Tom, I want to make that commitment here today to make Jesus number one. You might be watching us online. You might be here today. I just want you to raise your hand real high. Just raise it real high. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see hands all over this place. Lord Jesus, you see our hands. God, for some, it might be the first time ever to make this commitment to you. For others, it might be a recommitment of their lives towards you. But I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit today, God, that you would flow through people's hearts and through their lives. I pray as we continue this fast, for those who are making this fast a priority, that, Lord God, you would just start to reveal your truth, your love, your goodness into people's lives. Lord, give us that desire. I pray, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, there's a new, fresh awakening and desire in our hearts to serve you. Let's say this prayer together, every one of us. Lord Jesus, today I make a commitment to make you number one. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit to help me succeed. Forgive me my sins. Set me free from my past. Lead me in all my ways. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you said that prayer today, I believe, guess what? You're on the path to making God number one. Amen. Come on. Give the Lord Jesus a round of applause. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.